These are Jesus' own words spoken to his followers at the last meal that he shared with them before he went to the cross. The prince of this world is coming. Earlier on, Jesus had told us a little bit about what this prince of the world is on about. He is the thief who comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. This is a very high stakes game for each one of us, for all of mankind. What is it that the thief is coming to steal and kill and destroy? It's the promise of eternal life for each of us. Eternal life in God's presence. Eternal life without sickness, pain, hardship, death, that is a precious, precious thing that God has promised to each one of us. But if we are marked by sin and have been too ashamed to seek forgiveness, are too stubborn to repent and change the way we live our lives to become more like Jesus, if we are unwilling to put our faith in Jesus and in what he did for us on the cross, then eternal life in God's presence will not be ours. So that is what the prince of this world, the thief, the devil is trying to achieve. And as I say, the stakes are very, very high. It is a very important thing for us to consider in our walk with Jesus. And we might ask, well, how does the devil go about this? How does he go about his mission? Well, he follows a very simple pattern, which was first revealed way, way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And some of the variations on the theme can be quite sophisticated, but the pattern has three simple elements. Doubt. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. These are the words of the serpent in the garden, sowing seeds of doubt into Eve's mind. Desire. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she starts to desire 
the fruit that God has said she cannot have. She allows her mind to wander down that path of desiring something that is actually not hers to have. And then there's a decision. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. There is the pattern. And I actually remember probably more than 10 years ago, I'm not sure who it was, speaking on exactly this subject and spelling out that pattern. Doubt, desire, decision. Now, in an Old Testament perspective, one might think that it's just the decision to act that sort of brings us into sinfulness. I might think about all these other things, but unless I actually commit the act, I haven't really sinned. You know, the thought process is leading up to that. As long as I don't act on it, it's okay. That is a way one could understand the law in the Old Testament. But Jesus makes it absolutely clear that that is not how he sees things and it is not how we should see things. In Matthew chapter 5, he makes it very clear that the Old Testament talks about murder, for example. But if you only feel anger towards your brother in God's eyes, that is the equivalent of committing murder. Allowing that thought to dwell in your mind and develop is as much a sin as the act itself. And he says the same thing about adultery and lust, for example. So that's a passage in Matthew chapter 5. So we cannot excuse ourselves for having thoughts and then not acting on them. The thoughts themselves are unworthy to God and we must deal with them as sin. We must repent of them. We must seek confession and forgiveness for them. And that's the theme for this week. Temptation. We've been looking at these three themes for many weeks now. And the reference text that we're looking at is Jesus' discourse, his, the, the, the talk he has with his followers at that Last Supper meal. And this won't be a complete and precise theological discourse on the subject. It's intended more as a practical prompt. If God stirs your spirit in anything that I share this morning, then please follow it up. Don't let it lie. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will be stirring this morning, stirring each of us and bringing to the surface in our thoughts things that we might need to deal with. I'm not proud of my personal history with dealing with temptation. 
It's a pretty sorry tale until relatively recently. I, I would say that my life displays decades of knowing what was right, but not always doing what was right. And I'll share a little bit of that with you. These are some examples of areas in which a person may be tempted. It's not an exhaustive list. There are quite a few other things that could probably be uh, put on that list. It doesn't need to be an exhaustive list. It could be anything. You know, my mum said to me one day, I, I, mum loves cryptic crosswords. She always has, as do I. And it was one of, it's one of those things that we share. She lives in Canberra and I was visiting her five or six years ago and there's no pile of cryptic crosswords next to mum's uh, chair in the sitting room. I said, oh mum, what's with the crosswords? And she had been convicted by God that her love of cryptic crosswords was taking over her life in a way that wasn't healthy and she decided that she would put them aside and not do the crossword anymore. So it's a very, very small thing and to many of us perhaps insignificant. But to her, God had convicted her that that was a, a, a part of her um, routine and her thinking that was drawing her away from honouring God and so she dealt with it. So there, there could be anything on that list. There's lots of things that are Online shopping. I'll just throw that out there. And they're not in any particular order. There's no hierarchy of sin and temptation. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I cannot point my finger at a murderer and say, well, you've got less right to enter the gates of heaven than me because all I've ever done in my life is told a few small lies and you know, not paid all my tax. You're worse than I. That's not how God sees things because we are all, sin all sinners. Romans chapter 3 verse 23. The wages of sin is death. That applies equally to any of us who are sinners and we're all sinners. <laughs> who haven't sought the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, for it is by grace you have been saved. Equally, the murderer and the small-time liar. Through faith. And this, not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We are all on the same plane in terms of our sinfulness. So something that might seem quite insignificant to you compared to all the other things that you might have done but haven't, still needs to be dealt with. Now I'm going to take you on a very quick tour through my life. Again, not because I'm proud of any of it, 
but I just want to use this to illustrate a few things that might be helpful to other people. So, there's a bit of a map and you need to understand the key if you're going to understand the map. The uh, very, very light grey things are basically not issues, not areas in which I was tempted or uh, fell into sin at that stage of my life. Medium grey is something that was reasonably significant in my life at that stage and dark grey is something that is what I would now think of as a major issue. So as a primary school kid, I used to get into a lot of fights, especially with my siblings, and it was just like a go-to response to certain situations for me. So that's, that's why that one's dark grey. Okay. Secondary school years. Partway through this um, stage of my life, I turned my back on Christianity, on my parents' faith, on the faith that I'd grown up with, but at the very end of this stage, I made a personal commitment to follow Jesus just before I turned 18, just before I finished year 12. These are my university years. I had a constant major struggle in my life between my life in Christ and my life in the world. I, I was very... The word's duplicitous. Two, it was like I was trying to maintain two identities. This one over here with all my uni mates and this one over here with the youth group and the people I went to church with on a Sunday. Uh, towards the end of this period, I met Mary. So that was uh, probably my... hadn't quite finished university when Mary and I met. All right. So here's our early married life. <clears throat> Been a few changes. On, I had an ongoing moderate struggle between my life in Christ and my life in the world. It wasn't as uh, distinct a difference as it had been in my university years. Mary was a very profound moderating influence on my life and so was the church fellowship that we enjoyed at that stage of our life. I, and I, I, I kind of learnt to be more comfortable with being a Christian and, and accepting a Christian way of living my life, trying to model my life on Jesus, but I wasn't there yet. And there were some key moments in this period that changed things for me significantly. One was um, uh, we went up to Launceston and heard Bill Hybels speak. And he challenged me, I was just sitting in the crowd, but God spoke to me through Bill and challenged me about getting out of the pew and taking this seriously. That I had a responsibility to act in accordance with what I believed and what I said I believed. And, and I really took that on board. The other thing was I um, undertook a prayer ministry through Victorious Ministries Through Christ, VMTC, which I know some of you are familiar with, and um, that was incredibly powerful for me because one by one I just laid out areas of the previous 30 odd years of my life that had not been lived in accordance with how I knew Jesus wanted me to live and they were dealt with in prayer and I was clear of them. They ceased to be major areas of temptation in my life as a result of that prayer ministry and my willingness and openness to submit myself to that prayer ministry. 
but I held something back. There was one area of my life that I was so ashamed of that I didn't bring it out into the open. And so, you know, during the next few years, quite a few years, that remained an ongoing area of temptation and sin and struggle in my life. And I'm talking about lustful thoughts and all that goes with or might go with that. And I'm very pleased to say and very grateful to God that I can say that I have victory in that area of my life too. And I'll tell you a bit more about that in a minute. I still deal with temptation every day of my life. But nothing has the hold over me that it has had in, in the past. So some of those things have never been a serious problem for me. I've never touched hard drugs, for example. But I put it up on the list because you do not know who's going to walk through that door next week. And what they might be dealing with. And we have to be aware that people struggle with all these things and more. Some of the things on the list got a bit of a hold on me for a few years. But I was convicted about them and with God's help I was strong enough to change my habits of thinking and behaviour and move on. Others had a strong hold and were only addressed through intervention of some sort. And the violence I had as a, as a young kid was one example, um, and the VMTC prayer ministry that I undertook was another example. A major intervention in my life at a point in time that enabled me to be free of various things that I've been bound up in. Now, there are a plethora, there is, a plethora of reasons and excuses we might tell ourselves to justify the areas of temptation that we entertain in our mind. Whether or not it translates to action, we choose to dwell on particular patterns of thinking that are not healthy and not helpful and are sinful. It's natural. It's part of the natural thing of the world, that's okay. Or it's legal. The law doesn't say I can't do this so I can do it. Everybody else is doing it. It's never done me any harm. I can control it. It's not hurting anybody else. I've earned it. It's my only vice. I mean, I've heard people say that. It's my only vice. I'm, I'm, I'm good in all these other areas of my life. You've got to allow me one little vice. Nobody will know. Now, if you find yourself using that logic to justify a behaviour that in your heart of hearts you know is wrong, and I'm not, just, I'm not talking about a behaviour as in an action. I'm even talking about a behaviour at that 
thinking, allowing myself to be distracted by and dwelling on these thought process that brings me some sort of pleasure, even that. If you're using any of these reasons to justify it, you need to stop and ask God to show you what he's telling you about that thing. And you might need to do more, more than just stop. Because if that's the voice you're hearing, you need to ask yourself, is there another voice speaking that I'm not listening to properly? Is there another voice? I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got hearing aids now. And these days, you can connect your hearing aids to an app on your phone and you can control the volume settings and all sorts of things. And I, I can walk into a restaurant and I hit the restaurant button and it changes the way the sound is received based on the fact that I'm in that kind of restaurant environment. And the other thing I can do is I can increase the volume into my left ear and decrease the volume into my right ear. Pretty smart. Well, we do that with the things God's trying to tell us sometimes. We actually hear a voice that says, whoa, don't do it. Stop thinking about it. But we just turn that dial down and we listen to the other voice that says, it's not going to hurt anybody else. Nobody knows about it. Da -da -da, all those excuses and reasons. So we have a responsibility all the time to make sure that we've got the volume turned up on what God's trying to tell us and we've got the volume turned down on what we're trying to tell ourselves. I would ask you two questions if you're struggling with temptation. You might not even feel like you're struggling with temptation, but there's something going on in your life that, that there's a bit of a feeling that I should let go of it. Somehow or other, it's not in accordance with God's will for my life. And my first question is, are you at peace with whatever that is? Do you truly have a peace that the decision that you've come to about that particular thing in your life is the right decision? Because if, if it's not peaceful, if it's still churning, then you're not there yet. Like mum with the cryptic crosswords. You know, like it's not, you can't look at the scriptures and clearly see, well, is it all right to do cryptic crosswords or not? That's, it's not something that, but God spoke to her and until she acted, her, she was in turmoil in her thinking. Oh, I don't know whether I should, oh, it seems okay, whatever. But, but you've got to find that place of peace. And if you're not in a place of peace in your thinking about an area of temptation in your life, then you're not there yet. And you need to keep seeking God's will, turning up his voice and turning down the voice of the world, your own voice. That's one. The other is... Does the outcome reflect the light of Christ? Is there a way in which this pattern of thinking and the behaviour it might be leading towards doesn't reflect the light of Christ? If that's the case, it's probably something, almost certainly something you should set aside and try and 
avoid, overcome. And how do we do that? Well, here are some ideas with some examples. God's Word. God's Word is the ultimate source of truth. And the devil, the prince of the world, is trying to cause you to doubt truth. And the less you read and absorb the truth of the Word of God, the more likely you are to find yourself in doubt. If you do that infrequently and kind of just rush through it, I've got to do my three chapters, yep, done, right, move on. If you're not really allowing God's Word to speak to you through the Holy Spirit, it's going to be hard to discern what the truth is. And so it's going to be a lot easier for the devil to introduce into your thinking things that are not God's truth. So the God's word is really, really important. The Holy Spirit is really, really important. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us to help us to understand God's word and to help us to understand who Jesus is and to give us the strength to grow more and more into the likeness of Christ. It, it, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. So those two things are absolutely overarching in our attempts to resist temptation and to overcome temptation. The truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. The next one's prayer. Our own prayer and the prayer of others. You know, the whole time, almost 40 years of my life, that I was struggling with lust, I never once, until very late in that process, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, actually took that to anybody else for prayer. I prayed about it, didn't achieve victory over many, many years, but I never once asked anybody else to pray for me in that struggle that I was having in my life. So the, our own prayer is important. The prayer of others for us is important. General prayer. At various times in my life, people have been praying for me. I didn't always know until later. And they weren't necessarily praying about specific issues in my life because they didn't know what they were, but they were praying for me. And at other times it's been very specific, targeted prayer in response to a need that I've shared, which was how the Victorious Ministries Through Christ ministry worked. Sharing a need, specific prayer. Sharing another need, specific prayer. And things were dealt with. So prayer is really, really important. But here's a few more. And I want to say our walk in faith following Jesus is a partnership. And it's tempting to think I have made my confession of faith. I'm now right with God. 
and I'll just get on with my life. More or less trying to be a good follower of Jesus. But I've already done what I need to do. Well, I believe that our walk with Jesus is a partnership and God has an abundant store of power to help us to walk that walk. But we also have a role. And we, every day, we're faced with choices. Do I choose this or that? And we make those choices. And so that's our part in the partnership is to continue to make the right choices day by day by day. And God will give us the strength to bring about the consequences of the right choice that we've made. But we still have to make that choice. So one choice is to seek out the truth. Now I've already spoken about reading God's word and so on. But as an example, I have never been tempted in any way to try hard drugs. Never. And the reason is I had enough knowledge of what that was all about to make the right decision. And so it wasn't, it's never been a difficult decision for me. Never. It's been a simple decision. That's not true for everybody, I know. But for me, it's been a simple decision because I had an understanding of the truth about hard drugs. Another example is to turn away from anything that you know is evil. Now, for example, it could be places that are evil. I'm never going to walk into that pub on the corner of Liverpool and Barrack Street, whatever it is, that's got that slinky female figure. I'm never going to walk into that place because I see it as a place of evil. Nothing would cause me to walk into that building. It could be certain people. You know, the people I hung around with at uni were not a good influence on my life. Um, and that's where some of the alcohol and soft drugs and, you know, that's where that became a part of my life, through the influence of people that I thought of as friends. But they weren't a good influence on my life. It could be um, not so much a place as a platform. And, you know, when I was a kid, online stuff <laughs> didn't exist. But now there's this abundance of material available to anybody who can log in on a computer that could take them down uh, a very dark path. And so, just don't go near it. Turn away from it. Walk past it. Don't log in. Don't, whatever it is. If you really want to resist temptation, give yourself the best chance of success by not even stepping through the door. You might think, I understand this, I'm strong enough, I can step through that door, but it's, you've, you've reduced the chances of success as soon as you do that. Stay outside and keep the chances of success high. So that's another important um, aspect. Now for me, for example, gambling and pornography have never been a significant struggle in my life, notwithstanding what I've said about lust. It's never been 
pornography. That's never been the issue for me. And I have avoided either of those things becoming an issue in my life by just avoiding the places where they're available or where they're sold or whatever. So turn away. Just don't go near. Be transparent. This is really, really important. If you try and hold something in yourself and just tell yourself, oh, I can deal with this, I don't need anybody else's help, it's probably not going to work. And there's immense power in God's kingdom currency in being transparent and letting other people know what you're dealing with, opening it up peeling off <laughs> the outer layers and just saying, this is the real me in here. I'm really struggling with such and such. Now, most of you who know me know that I have been transparent in that way. I learnt to be transparent because I understand the value of it and the power of it. And... The number of times that I've shared something that may seem a little bit out there or a bit perhaps inappropriate here and in other places like this, but then had people come to me and ask me to help them navigate that problem in their life has convinced me that transparency is very, very important. And the whole thing with Victorious Ministries Through Christ was about transparency. There are only two other people in the room. They were sworn to confidentiality, but it still took an effort to be transparent with those people. So. Don't hide it, folks. Bring it out into the open and let God deal with it and let other people help you deal with it. Make yourself accountable. It kind of follows on from transparency, but I could be very transparent and still not really make myself accountable to other people for the decisions I've made about how to try and deal with an area of temptation in my life. So I think making yourself accountable is very, very important. I have a friend who's um, an alcoholic. He's a recovered or recovering alcoholic, whatever the correct terminology is. He got to a point in his life where his doctor said to him, this is going to kill you. Your drinking is going to kill you and you need medical intervention. And you cannot stop drinking unless you do so under medical supervision. Because if your alcohol level drops below your blood alcohol level drops below a certain level, you're going to die now because you need a, a, a chemical regime, a, a, a medical regime that helps you wean yourself off this and on, you know, out of it. So he was that bad. He was living his life at 0.05. It, uh, unbelievable to think about what that actually means, but uh, it's a fact. And less than 12 months ago, he went through that process and so he hasn't touched alcohol since. But he has included his wife and his closest friends, including me, and Alcoholics Anonymous, in a network of people to whom he is accountable 
for staying the course that he's chosen. Accountability is really, really important. But choose carefully. Um, you know, you want to choose people to whom you're going to make yourself accountable who share your Christian worldview. It would be easy to choose someone who actually didn't really support you because they didn't think the thing that you were trying to achieve victory over was, was an issue. Uh, I've shared my um, testimony out at the prison, for example, including what I've shared with you guys about lust. And the guys say, hmm, what's the problem? Don't know, don't know why you think that's a problem. <laughs> you know, so they're not an appropriate bunch of people for me to make myself accountable to because they're not really going to support me. I, I went to somebody about that very issue very late in the um, period I described, hoping for an accountability partner. And this person said to me, eh, that's okay. You know, lustful thoughts are okay. That's how God made us. It, it, if God didn't want us to have lustful thoughts, he wouldn't make women beautiful and he wouldn't, he wouldn't wire us to respond. You know, don't worry about it. Well, that wasn't very helpful. Unfortunately, I knew enough by then to know that that wasn't good advice and I wasn't going to rely upon it. Um, so yes, we have to be wise. And I would expect in any situation like that, that God will reinforce what he is telling you through multiple threads. He will lead you to scriptures that show you the truth. His voice will speak to you. You will hear God telling you. You will know. You won't have that peace until you turn the volume up on what he's telling you and you turn the volume down on what the devil's telling you. And the Holy Spirit plays a big part in that. So this counsel from this person didn't reinforce the truths that I had come to understand from God's word and from what he was telling me himself. So I had to discount it. Consider others. And I'm talking about being sensitive to other people around you and aware of how your behaviour is impacting on them. And I'll give you a couple of examples. I talked about being a pretty violent kid in my primary years. Well, one day, my next, I'm one of five brothers and I have a sister and I'm the eldest. One day, my next eldest brother and I were, were having a full-on fist fight and more. And my next brother just burst into tears. And I, I, I just didn't understand why he was so upset about me and Steve having a fight. <laughs> but I, it stopped me. And um, I realised that he was upset because we were fighting. Our harmless biff was impacting someone else. Now, again, it might seem like a pretty small thing, but it showed me that something I had come to think of as pretty harmless, and was a big part of my life, was harmful to other people who weren't even in the firing line. And I, I, I have not thrown a punch since. It had such an impact on me. I have a friend um, who was a heavy smoker and one day he had a conversation with his three daughters 
who were having nightmares and were terrified that Daryl was going to get cancer and die. And their terror at the imminent death of their father was enough for him to stop smoking. So I use these two examples. They're both examples of kind of light bulb moments where God just lights something up in front of you that's confronting. It's a new revelation of what's really going on that causes you to change your thinking. And we need to be sensitive to those moments and even to ask God to bring us into those moments to show us what's going on in our life that's not in accordance with his will for us if we can't see it and if we've built up this wall of excuses that we rely upon and just give him the opportunity to kick that wall down and show you what's really going on. I've got one more. And for me, this was where I needed to go for the ultimate victory over my struggle with lust. It was fasting, um, denying myself. I had tried for 40 years, give or take, to break the hold that this area of lust in my life had um, and I, couldn't, I just couldn't do it. But I came to a point where I realised I needed to get better at exercising self-control. And I had tried to do it in this area of my life without success, many times, many times. But I started fasting. I would fast, I would eat dinner on a Monday night and I would not eat lunch till Wednesday, week after week after week after week. And as, as soon as I started, I had victory over I didn't have to wait for six weeks of fasting. Or As soon as I decided that I was going to exercise self-control in terms of what I ate and deny myself food for that period on a regular basis, I had victory over the, all, the whole area of the way in which lustful thoughts and lustful thinking had dominated my life for decades. So we don't talk about fasting all that much and we don't do it all that much, but I just want you to know it's incredibly powerful because it's an exercise of self-control and it exercises a muscle, figuratively speaking, that just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and gives you the ability to resist temptation in other areas of your life not connected with whether you eat or not. I really want to encourage people who are struggling with something. It's almost like, um, all right, let, let's just park that but I am going to exercise self-control here where it's a little bit easier for me to do so and I will and then that helps you to be able to bring to bear the strength needed to exercise self-control in another area of your life. And always, always maintain an eternal perspective. Remember that promise, eternal life in God's presence. That is worth so much more than anything else we might encounter in life that we think brings us pleasure. And it is a very small price to pay in eternal terms to put away 
and deny oneself the pleasure that we might feel from this particular area that's tempting us in our life, whatever it might be, you know, lots and lots of different things it could be. If we keep thinking about the eternal perspective, what God has promised us, that's the important thing. If we live our life on the understanding that it's all over when we die, we're going to want to extract as much pleasure from our life as we can along the way. But if we know and understand that there is boundless joy and happiness and peace awaiting us in heaven and more, then it's easier to think about the things we can do without in this life, which are things the devil is using to try and steal and kill and destroy. We live in the world. We are surrounded by temptation. There's a catalogue of made-to-measure, ready-to-order excuses that we can use to justify giving in to temptation or even entertaining the thought of wrongful behaviour. Jesus prayed this for his followers in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 19. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. God wants us in the world. He didn't ask God to take us out of the world with him when he, when he was, um, died on the cross and was resurrected. He, he asked, no, 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 I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I do want you to protect them from the evil one. So Jesus is praying for us that we be protected from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. We are in the world, yes, but we're not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. There's that word again. What's the truth? Truth is important. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We've been sent into this world by Jesus. For them I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. We live in the world, but we are set apart, made holy, made worthy to enjoy God's presence for eternity because Jesus sanctified himself. We are living in Christ. We are aiming for God's standard. You know, that journey that I have been on with temptation has been a journey of trying to get closer and closer and closer to the standard that Jesus has set. I would like to think that the world out there would look and not be able to distinguish me from Jesus. Now that's not likely to happen this side of eternity, but that's what we should be aiming for, that people see the goodness of Christ and the love of Christ in us. And if they see something that doesn't fit, nothing fits. You know, Jesus was so angry about hypocrisy, more than anything else. Jesus was angry about hypocrisy, which is someone who pretends to be one thing but has actually got a little bit of something else going on that doesn't fit. So we have to aim to be like Christ. Again, Jesus prayed for his followers. John chapter 17, verses 20 to 21. My prayer is not for them alone, the people that were with him at the time. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's all of us. 
that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So Jesus' prayer for us is that we are one with him and with God the Father. We are in him. And Christ living in us, allowing Jesus into every corner of our identity and life, every corner, not keeping something hidden. I mean, we think it's hidden, but Jesus can see it anyway, being completely open. I had a moment which preceded the story I told about fasting and overcoming this area of temptation in my life. Um, I was in Singapore for a uh, training thing with Prison Fellowship and I was sitting under a tree in the botanical gardens for a couple of hours just reflecting, meditating uh, and really wanting to be close to Jesus, um, which I find hard to do in my busy life. So it was, a, it was a good opportunity and it was a good thing. And I asked Jesus, what did I need to do to be closer to him and to feel that closeness and to know that I was close to him? And I was just overwhelmed by a sense of his love. If you had asked me at any time prior to that date about wanting to be with Jesus for eternity, I would have said, yeah, that's going to happen one day. One day I'm going to die and that's where I'll be by God's grace. But in the meantime, I really enjoy life, you know, and there's all, this, there's all this good stuff I love doing with my friends. I love trout fishing and I love this and I love that and good food and you know, whatever it is. So I'm not quite ready yet, you know, like I know that's going to be good, but this is pretty good too. And I want to hang on to this for a little while longer. I would have said that. But on this evening, I found myself saying, take me now, Jesus. And what that meant was, I want nothing more than to be with you. I want nothing more than to be with you. And if that was now, that would be the best. I'm ready. That's, to me, that was like a total surrender. I'm not holding on to any of this anymore. I, I am ready to be with you right now, sitting under this tree in the botanical gardens in Singapore. But if not, then use me. Show me what you want me to do. I don't want to be making the choices about, well, I, ultimately I have to make the choice, but show me how you see these things that I rely on for pleasure, joy, happiness and fulfilment in my life. Show me those things through your eyes and show me what you want me to do about it. So, to me, that was, that was a moment of surrender, probably the only true moment of surrender in my life where I truly understood what it meant to surrender myself to Jesus. And on that foundation was built the victory that he gave me over this area of temptation in my life that I'd struggled with through that fasting that I talked about before. So Jesus prayed for his followers, for his followers, to God the Father, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me 
may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus' desire is to live in us as he expressed in that prayer. So I just want to give you a moment. If you're working through some area of temptation in your life at the moment and you feel uncertain about whether you're dealing with it in the right way, just ask yourself, have I found peace? Have I truly found a place of peace in how I deal with this? Is my life reflecting the light of Christ? Is there any part of my life that is not reflecting the light of Christ? And do I need help? Remembering what I said about transparency and accountability, do I need to reach out to somebody else for help? Now, I know I'm not a part of this congregation anymore, but I'm available. So if you need help and you feel that it would be useful to you to speak to me, then I'm available. But if there's anyone else in eldership or any other mature, wise Christian in this fellowship, that you feel you can go to and would rather do that. I don't think it matters other than that you seek out someone wise and mature, but do reach out. If God's prompting you to do that, you do it. I just want to finish with a passage from Romans chapter 5 as a prayer for all of us. We have been made right with God because of our faith. So we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our faith, Christ has brought us into that blessing of God's grace that we now enjoy. And we are very happy because of the, thing, of the hope we have of sharing God's glory. And we are also happy with the troubles we have why are we happy with troubles? Because we know that these troubles make us more patient. And this patience is proof that we are strong. And this proof gives us hope. And this hope will never disappoint us. We know this because God has poured out his love to fill our hearts through the Holy Spirit he gave us. God bless you, each and every one of you. And I pray that you will experience victory over any area of temptation that is still a struggle for you. In Jesus' name.